0: All right, well, good morning. How is everybody doing today? Good doing good. Amen. It's a great holiday season so far. Uh, we're just so blessed, uh, Denise and I, are to be uh, part of this uh, Randall Church family during the holidays. So I just want to thank you first and foremost for just welcoming us to, into the flock here and just allowing us to be a part of what God is doing. And, and we don't have family, we have some family here in the area, but we're not really sure how we're going to see them during the Christmas. So at this time, uh, you are our family during this holiday season. So we appreciate that uh, so much. this morning, uh, we're going to be turning to uh, Hebrews chapter 2 as we continue our series on He is Greater. And uh, Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible and you need to use the one that's in the pew in front of you, uh, you're going to be turning to page 1,255. And uh, as you do that, as you turn there, uh, many of you may remember the story a few months ago of the young boy in Florida. Who was vacationing with his family at Walt Disney World, and a tragic event happened. He was waiting about a foot within the water at one of the resorts, and uh, an alligator got a hold of him. And they found the young boy the next day or two days afterwards. You know, in the in the lake, he had he died from his injuries and from drowning. And um, you know, it's a sad story when we think about it. Uh, but there were signs posted um, near the water that said "No swimming." And of course, Walt Disney World had to come later and put no swimming, there's alligators in the, in the lake here. Uh, but when we think about the idea that there were signs posted, that there were warning signs for this young boy and for this family, and when you don't obey the warning signs, sometimes there are consequences. And unfortunately, in the life of this family, these consequences was very great. Well, we're going to be talking a little bit about that this morning, about seeing the warning signs and understanding the spiritual markers that God has placed before us. And so as we begin our journey today in Hebrews chapter 2, he is greater. Um, And our our sermon this morning is, uh, he is greater than the cynics, the critics, and the skeptics. So I'm not sure if we've got the right slides. It might be the wrong slides up there. And uh, we can get those fixed. But if you look with me in Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 1 through verse 4, we'll read this scripture this morning. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Lord, this morning, as we open your word, I thank you for this time that we can share. I thank you for this time that we have as a family, as a, the body of Christ to come and to open, to read. And I pray this morning, Lord, as, um, as I bring your message, that you would speak through me, Lord. I pray that um, you would increase, that I would decrease. Lord, that you would do a work this morning in our lives, that you would admonish us, that you would encourage us. Some here may need to be corrected. I pray that you would do your will and your way as we open your word this morning. And as we are gathered, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a confession to make to the church. And I feel this is a nice place to do it since it is a church and no one's going to judge me here this morning. But, uh, (laughs) okay. Uh, Remember the part of our message that talks about cynics? No, okay. Um, I have a confession to make. Late at night, when I put the children to bed, I go downstairs and I turn on the television and I watched the Home Shopping Network. <laughs> um, so far, I've bought, what's the so funny? <laughs> I, 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 okay, I take it back. I was on the verge of buying uh, a pair of ladies' boots. Uh, I don't even wear ladies' boots. Uh, a bread maker uh, and some other things, some jewelry, right? It's, it's just a thing. I don't know, for whatever reason, Denise and myself, at the middle of the night, we put the kids to bed and we end up on home shopping channel. And we're watching, and it's just amazing to me that people are on this channel watching and shopping and buying things. And they give you a little counter of what, what they're purchasing, right? Well, the other night we were watching and, and they had this wonderful ladder that they were selling some of you might know exactly what I'm talking about. I can't even remember the name of it right now. But it was this ladder that, you know, it could probably reach to the top of the sanctuary here. You could break it down and made it into two smaller ladders. You could buy the accessories and make it like a plank to walk on. And Denise says to me, you know, we need a ladder <laughs> because we got to get the, the leaves out of the, um, the gutters in the house. And I said, I don't want to spend, it's $159 for this ladder. I said, I don't want to spend $159 for this ladder that I'm going to use one time just to get leaves out. So guess what? We didn't buy the ladder, and I never got the leaves out of the gutter. Okay? So I'm hoping today when I go home, the gutters are still there, and as we get some more weather. But every time something like that happens where Denise says, you need to make sure you get this or that or whatever, and I don't do it, and it always comes back to bite me, right? Denise always says to me, should have listened to the wife God gave you, okay? Now, okay, amen? Now, guys, it happens both ways, don't get me wrong. You should have listened to the husband God gave you. But more often than not, it's listen to the wife God gave you is what, what happens in our house, okay? So if you can, if you can uh, relate to that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But when we talk about warning signs, and this is, as we look at our text this morning as our scripture, it's kind of interesting that, Paul, that the writer of Hebrews is, uh, is, is giving a, a warning. He's telling his audience, he's saying, listen, there's something I've just told you. I need you to pay attention. There's something I've just stated, and I need you to listen to the advice that God has given us, right? Just like, uh, just like Denise gives me that advice. And, and I'll put my wife at ease right now and let her know that I've done the one obligatory wife story for the sermon this morning, and that's it, okay? All right. Looking at the text this morning, and I'm going to jump right into it. <clears throat> Excuse me. The writer of Hebrews begins our, verse, our verses by saying, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. As we look at this scripture, we can see that there's a couple things that he is uh, trying to tell us, and we're going we're gonna to dive into that this morning. But the first thing he says is, therefore. And when he says, therefore, he's trying to connect us back to what he said in chapter 1. And Pastor Milo, who did a great job uh, last week talking about Jesus being greater than the angels, he, re, he spoke to us about Christ being greater, among other things, uh, the angels because of his name, because of his destiny, because of his power. And all those things that Pastor Milo spoke about last week, I hope we all remember them because it plays an important part of what we're looking at here this morning. But the author of Hebrews is telling us, he's saying, look back to what we just, we just talked about, about Jesus Christ. Look back, about, look back to what we've just discussed about Jesus. Jesus is greater than the angels. Great. Jesus is greater than any person or any angelic being that has ever existed. And so in the immediate context of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, the author here is telling us that we need to make sure that we have a correct understanding and a correct belief about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I would go so far as to say we need to have a correct response the person of Jesus Christ. So if you're taking notes this morning, this is going to be your first bullet. I'm not sure if we're going to have it on the screen, but I'm going to tell you what the first bullet is here, is that orthodoxy matters. This morning, when we think about Christ being greater, we think about He is greater, I want you to know that the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is that orthodoxy matters. Now, orthodoxy is a huge word that you probably only hear within, you know, within college, within the academy. Uh, You may hear it in certain denominations. We don't really walk around, you know, this church saying, hey, how's your orthodoxy going? It's not something that we do. Uh, But orthodoxy is a big word. And according to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, it's a simple definition. Orthodoxy is conforming to an established doctrine. So something that, that has come to be believed, an established doctrine, is orthodoxy. And when we think of orthodoxy within the church, and we think about listening to the message that we have heard, sometimes some of the first things that come to mind might be some of the confessional creeds that the church has had throughout its history, particularly the the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. And some of us might be familiar with that, right? I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of the heavens and the earth. You know, the church at the time that they developed these creeds in the fourth century, this was a big deal for the church. We kind of take it for granted being on this side of, the, of, of history, right? Being on, the, uh, on the, the 2,000 year mark of history. We take for granted that those beliefs that we believe as a church, the things that we consider orthodoxy, the things that we believe about Christ and about certain spiritual truths, uh, we take for granted that throughout church history and throughout world history, people lived, died, and fought over what they believed in. And the Nicene Creed is one of those things that many people uh, throughout church history uh, it took a lot of, um, lot of debate, if we, if we can use that word this morning. But at the end of the day, it was the church fathers that understood that there was a need to defend an understanding of who Jesus is so that the church as it survived would come to believe them. Now, I don't know if many of you know uh, the singer Rich Mullins, but in, in the 1990s, Rich Mullins wrote a song and he titled it Creed. And it was actually inspired by the song, by the the Apostles' Creed, by the Nicene Creed. And he essentially um, sings, puts music to to the actual creed itself. I believe in God the Father. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in Christ. But one of the lines that Rich Mullins adds to his song is he adds this line. He says, I did not make it, referring to the creed, but it is making me. And that's such a powerful line that um, when we think about that, that none of us in here uh, necessarily started a a religion and created the doctrines that we believe as a church. Amen? Right? Nobody in here one day woke up and decided we're going to create a religion. Right? It seems like there's new religion starting every day. But the doctrines, the orthodoxy, what we believe as a church are things that we are revealed through scripture. And those creeds and those confessions verbalize exactly what we've come to believe. So that that idea that we didn't make this up, we didn't make Jesus being God, we didn't make Jesus being superior to the angels, this is not something that we made up, but this is what God has revealed to us, and it in fact is what is making us who we are today. See, orthodoxy matters because if we don't allow God to be the one who defines our faith, then we run the risk of believing and speaking incorrectly on God's behalf how many of you know the Facebook Jesus or the Jesus of daytime television do you know what I'm talking about the image of Jesus on Facebook where it seems no matter where you are and if you put something religious about Christ or the Bible on Facebook somebody always has to come back and say well Jesus doesn't judge me you know what I'm talking about you've seen that before right Or the daytime Jesus, where Jesus is the touchy-feely friend who will help you in every situation that you're in, regardless of what kind of lifestyle you're living. It doesn't matter because all roads lead to heaven, right? That's kind of the daytime Jesus that we see. We could even call it the the gospel of Oprah, right? The the touchy-feely sense of who Jesus is. Well, folks, this morning as we look at our text in Hebrews here, the author begins very, very poignantly by stating us We must pay careful attention to what we have heard. We must pay careful attention to what we have heard. The things that I just spoke to you about Jesus in chapter 1, listen to what I'm saying. Pay attention to it. You see, Jesus, it's important that we listen to what Jesus, who Jesus is and what the author writes. Because throughout the book of Hebrews, Jesus is superior. He's far greater than anything and everything that has come before in the revelation of God. And this is another cool aspect when we think about God revealing himself to us, is that God throughout all of history has revealed himself in different times and in different matters. As a matter of fact, this is what the author of Hebrews says in chapter one, verse two, verse one and two. Listen to what he says there. He says, "'In the past, God spoke to our forefathers "'through the prophets at many times "'and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. You see, as God spoke through the prophets, we understand that they had a good word from God. But yet the word that Jesus speaks fulfills most of all of those things that the prophets spoke. As Jesus is revealed throughout the, Old Testament, throughout the book of Hebrews as being superior, as being greater than all things, We have to make sure that um, we understand that the word that God gave us in the Old Testament, the understanding of how he revealed himself, it's not negated, but yet Jesus Christ helps us to see it in even a, a, a brighter light. For instance, the laws that God gave in the Old Testament, they weren't necessarily bad, but we know now that they point us to sin and they show us what sin is and they point us to the need for a savior. The sacrificial system wasn't bad. But now we know that Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. The Old Testament messengers, the prophets, the angels, those who spoke on behalf of God, they weren't unreliable. However, we know that Christ is the ultimate revelation of God. And we could go through hundreds of passages passages this morning and talk about how Christ is revealed through the scriptures, how different elements of typology and things relate to Christ. But at the end of the day, what we need to come to realize is that our correct understanding of Jesus is important. Because it represents who we understand Jesus to be and how we represent him to a lost world. And orthodoxy matters. This leads us to our next point, if you're taking notes. And that's that direction matters. Direction matters. You may ask, well, why is it important to have a correct understanding of Jesus? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us this answer right from the very beginning in his chapter 2. He states, so we don't drift away. Now a couple weeks ago, Pastor Brian, God bless him, uh, spoke uh, on his first sermon and his first sermon was on what? Anybody remember? Money. Somebody remembers, right? Pastor Brian's first sermon was on money, right? Way to go, Pastor Miles, scheduling that out, My, Pastor Brian, money. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> well this morning I get to speak to you about what it means to drift away. So again, I think me and Brian are going head to head here in terms of theological issues. right? The author warns, warns everybody, his readers, he says, you need to have a correct understanding of Jesus so that you don't drift away. And this morning we're going to unpack that a little bit and hope we can get a clear understanding of what that means. Now to begin with, let's come right out and say it. Notice that the author of Hebrews, does, does not, he doesn't come right out and say that this verse has anything to do with losing your salvation. Can we, can we say that right off the bat? That at least from the author's perspective, he doesn't come right out and say, drifting away means someone will lose their salvation. And so with that being the case, I think it's important that we kind of unpack this this verse here because we do want to make sure that we are in the right direction, that we're following God in the right direction. The author of Hebrews spends at least six different times throughout the whole book of Hebrews, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 10, and two times in chapter 12, using similar language to his readers. He tells them don't drift away, don't fall away. He tells them to not depart from him who speaks. So he uses a language here that, is, that uh, we need to pay attention to and that we need to listen to. Now, a couple weeks ago, um, Denise and I, actually about a month ago, Denise and I were uh, in uh, Williamsville. And one of the things I love about coming to this town is that there are so many estate sales. And... Um, if you're like me, I like just popping in and seeing what's, what's for sale. Well, I, f- I found in one of the estate sales a, um, a compass here. And I, you probably can't see it up here, but I got a compass here. Any any scouts in here? Any old, old scouts, right? You, you probably have one of these at home. All right. Well, I got a lensatic compass here. All right. If you're in the military, then you've probably seen one of these also. I know in the Marine Corps, we use these all the time. But, uh, you know, what, what does a compass do? It, help us to, it helps us to find the right direction, Right. And, uh, you know, there's always a joke when you ask, when you ask a guy, you know, directions for some place, he'll just say, you know, go down this street and make a left, go down this street, make a right. And for females, it's, well, you got to go to the, um, the Dunkin' Donuts, make a right. There's always directions given in a specific mark, right? Well, a, a compass will help us to find direction. And the thing about this lensatic compass is that uh, you, you can't really see it here, but there's and the, the face of the compass here is your actual dial. There's a little tiny magnifying glass right in the front here. And on the, sh- on the cover here, uh, you, can't, you can barely see it, but there's a little wire that, that goes in between this little space. Everybody can see that little space here? There's a little wire. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to hold this compass. And you're supposed to put this wire up. And if you know what direction you need to go into, you basically hold this compass up and you line up your degrees with that little wire and you kind of know where you're going, all right? So we all know north, south, right? North, south, where am I at? East, west, So I gotta think about that for a second. It's like being backwards, right? North, south, east, west. And if I were to say which direction is the airport, what would we say? South, right? Which way is uh, Syracuse? East, California is west, all right. But if I didn't know the specific directions, What I would have to do is if I was saying, well, I'm trying to get to Tim Hortons at at NOCO. Um, (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right? All right. Thank God for Tim Hortons. Uh, That's probably like about 300 and, I don't know, probably about 300 degrees from where we're standing right now. So I would, I put my uh, compass up to my eye. I'd, I'd see 300 on the compass. And I would look for something right in the 300 Range So that Christmas tree. And I would know that I would need to walk to this Christmas tree in order to be on the right path to Tim Hortons. Now, when I get to this Christmas tree, I'll do the same thing. 300 degrees, and then so on and so on until I reach my destination. Now, of course, I don't need a compass to find Tim Hortons. It's right across the street, right? <laughs> okay. But if Tim Hortons was, if, if I had to get to the Tim Hortons in Canada right, and this is the only way to find, the only way to get there, you know, if I was off by one or two degrees, what would happen to me? I'd get, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make, I'd end up at, I don't know, somewhere else, right? I'd end up at Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know, somewhere else, okay? Well, I want you to think about that when we think about what the author is writing here in Hebrews about drifting away. For the sake of our, for the sake of our message this morning, Tim Hortons is orthodoxy. And if I don't align myself in the direction of where orthodoxy is, I'm not going to end in the right spot. And this is what the author of Hebrews is warning his audience. He's saying to them, make sure you have not just the right directions, but that you're headed in the right way, that you're walking in the right way. I want you to notice the connection here that the author has to the Old Testament. The author says, for if the message spoken by angels, this is verse 2, was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Now there's a couple of things here that we got to unpack here. And, and the first thing is, is that he mentions angels. and he, mes- he mentions the message spoken by angels. Now this is kind of a problematic verse here because when we look at the, um, particularly the giving of the covenant and the law, that that Moses received from God, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus. doesn't mention angels being present. It just says that Moses went up to the mountain where God was and God gave him the the law and Moses came back down the mountain. So we have to ask ourselves, what is this message that was spoken by angels? Well, as we look through the rest of Scripture, and if you're taking notes, you can write these down and and you can look at them later. Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 2, Psalm 104 verse 2. In Isaiah chapter 6, one of the beautiful things that scripture tells us is that whenever God makes his presence known in the cloud or in the glory or in the smoke like it happens in Isaiah, there's always an angelic presence with him. So even though the scripture doesn't necessarily say that God um, gave the law or the covenants through angels, we know that because of God's presence they were there with him. Again, that's Deuteronomy 33 verse 2, Psalm 104. Verse 2 through 4 in Isaiah 6. God has revealed Himself through the scriptures, and He used those mediaries, the angels, and He spoke through uh, various times through the prophets. Knowing that God is surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and that God's word is binding and to be obeyed, the author tells us that every violation received its just punishment. You see, direction matters, and it mattered in the Old Testament. Because if they didn't obey God, what happened? They received the just punishment. Turn with me, if you will, into Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 26. In this passage of Scripture, what's what's happened previously is that the Israelites have come to the borders of the promised land. They've selected spies to go out into the land and to examine the land and to see what it's like. And God tells them to go out and bring back some of the fruits of the promised land. Twelve spies go out, twelve come back. Ten of them say, we can't go there because there's giants in the land, The, the land is occupied. Let's just stay here and not go into the promised land. And there's two individuals, Joshua and Caleb, who say, no, 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 no. We need to be faithful to what God has told us to do. We need to go into the promised land. And because of God's anger towards those who were disobedient and in disbelief, listen to what God states to them in Numbers chapter 14, starting in verse 26. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall away. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted on the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb son of Jephunneh and Joshua son of Nun. As for your children, verse 31, that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected, but you, your bodies will fail, will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for forty years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. Verse thirty-four: For forty years, one year for each of the forty days you explore the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is to have me against you. Man, that is a so sober, a somber judgment. To think about that God gave to those individuals because they failed in their belief to what God had promised them. Can you imagine being in that community, being over 20 years old and having God pronounce to you that you were not going to enter the promised land. And in fact you were going to instead wander the desert for 40 years because of your disbelief. That's an extreme example of drifting away. Would you agree with me? Jeremiah, if you would turn there, chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25, starting in verse 8. Jeremiah 25, verse 8. Therefore the Lord Almighty says... Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant, ne- my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will, bu- I will banish them from the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country, speaking to Israel, will become desolate, wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Again, another judgment pronounced on God to the nation of Israel because they committed idolatry by serving false gods and worshiping things other than the Lord God. Extreme examples of God's judgment on the people. Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us, he's asked the question, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation he's again referring to jesus the orthodoxy how will we ignore how shall we escape if we ignore the message that has been revealed through jesus christ god's ultimate act of revelation to the world well let's get right to the hard part here what is the author talking about we know the author doesn't come right out and say that he's telling them they're going to lose their salvation But there's a sense here that we need to understand who the actual audience is that he's writing to. I think this will help us to understand a little bit better about what he's referring to. Most commentators say that uh, the audience for Hebrews is obviously Jewish people. The book is called Hebrews after all, right? Um, Most uh, most commentators indicate that it was um, Jews who most likely hadn't lived in Jerusalem but were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. We know this because whenever the author of Hebrews quotes the Old Testament, he uses the Greek version of the Old Testament that Jews that were scattered throughout the kingdom would know. The other thing that uh, most, common state, most commentators indicate is that most of the recipients, as I mentioned, had probably not been to Jerusalem and probably had not seen the actual temple itself, but knew about the temple and its furnishings and how the ongoings of the temple because of what was written in the Old Testament in the Exodus and Leviticus. And finally, it's likely that all the original audience was facing some sort of persecution at the time. And so when we think about that, when we think about who the original audience is, we can see that that Hebrew's author is writing them to encourage them to remain faithful to Christ. In fact, some of them were, most of them were likely Jewish people, and some of them were probably Gentiles who had converted to Judaism and then subsequently become followers of Christ. This is what the author is saying to those Gentile converts to Judaism. He's telling them if you reject Christ, if you reject what we know, the orthodoxy that we know about Christ, then it's like turning your back on God and returning to the godless way that you had before you came to know Christ. Here's probably what the author of Hebrews is writing to the Jewish audience He's probably telling them rejecting Christ. And going back to the Mosaic way of doing things, the law and the covenant, would essentially be like saying we need to offer sacrifices again and again for our sins. But we know that what? Christ was crucified once for all for our sins. And there's no need for Christ to repeat his sacrifice on the cross. Therefore, to reject Christ and to go back to the way of the law, it just simply can't happen within God's economy of things. There's no way that could happen. And so it would be almost as if you drifted away and were like those pagans who went back to their godless lifestyle. For us this morning, I want you to know that the author of Hebrews gives us uh, a contrast between two kinds of individuals within the book of Hebrews. He gives us those individuals who straight out turn their backs from God. Those individuals who make a conscious decision to say, I am not going to follow the way of the cross. I'm going to follow my own way. I'm sure some of us know some people like that. But he also speaks about individuals within the book who don't necessarily turn away from God, but because of our sinful nature, we sin and we know we break God's heart. And he refers to them as living in the weakness of the flesh. And he refers to them as, um, as uh, having, being in bondage to the fear of death. So I, this morning, as we think about walking in the right direction, as we think about having the right orthodoxy, you're either in one of those two camps this morning. You're either someone who has completely rejected Christ, or you're, you're someone who is a follower of Christ who sins. And I want you to know that the, the gospel message, the Bible tells us that Jesus died once for all for our sin. That as, we, as we've seen in our baptisms this morning, Christ was buried and he rose again to give us new life. And as we think about the direction that we're walking in, it's important that we don't walk in the direction away from Christ, but that we walk in the direction towards Christ. And we're going to sin, we're going to fall short, but we're not living in apostasy like those who turn away from Christ. As I mentioned earlier, um, you know, Denise and I are so happy to be here. And uh, we've been married for 13 years, I believe it is. Yeah, 13 years, okay. <laughs> and in 2006, I had the privilege of going to Iraq. That was a joke. Um, and, uh, and I was there for the whole year in 2006. And uh, at that point, we had been married three years. And... And for whatever reason, when I went to, uh, we, had, uh, com- we had a community shower stalls and, and uh, so when I went to go take a shower one day, for whatever reason, I took off my wedding ring and I put it on the, uh, I can't even take it off now. I, I took off my wedding ring and I placed it on the little, uh, on the countertop that was in the, um, in the shower area and I shaved or I did something or whatever. I got in the shower and I didn't even realize till like a day, like later that day that I had taken off my ring and I didn't have it with me. And my ring was missing. Um, and uh, at the time, Denise said we would kind of communicated through um, uh, video conferencing and things. I don't even remember if I told her I lost my ring that night or if I waited until I looked around for it or whatever the case may be. But when I came home, we had to go, I had to go buy a new ring. And fortunately, I found the same exact ring at the jewelry store, right. It was a little more expensive, but I was able to get the same exact ring. So right now you would never know. If you saw my original ring and if you see the one I'm wearing now, that, that, uh, that I'd lost my ring. This is kind of the imagery that, um, that the author is talking about. You know, sometimes we make a conscious decision to take off the ring and to just leave it there and walk away from Christ. Don't be that individual this morning. Don't be that individual that makes a conscious decision. And Why is that? Well, point number three, because faith matters. Faith matters. As we look at our text this morning, the author writes in the end of chapter 3, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You see, God's demonstrated his faithfulness to us and to the gospel message by providing historical signposts for us. Did you know that the cynics, the critics, and the skeptics have nothing to say when we talk about the historical Jesus? Did you know that the cynics, the critics, and the skeptics have nothing to say when we talk about Christ being greater because history has validated the existence of a literal man who walked the earth named Jesus Christ? And the scriptures that we hold in our hand this morning, through the years as they've been handed down, are testimony to that. And the author of Hebrews wants us to remember that. That God used various people. First he spoke through the prophets, then he spoke through the angels, then he spoke through his son. And now he's revealed himself through individuals like the apostles and like the faith community that we are in this morning. To declare the greatness and the glory of God. Are you a part of that faith community this morning? Are you a part of that? It's awesome that we get to see people getting baptized. And we get to share in the Advent season together. Because it talks about us coming together as a community of believers And what we believe in and what we have come to know as fundamental to our Christian faith. Matter of fact, when we think about the Christmas story itself, Mark chapter 2 tells us that the angels came and appeared before the shepherds. That Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. The supernatural entered the natural and revealed himself. And it was through Jesus Christ. The cynics and the critics are silenced when the power of God is demonstrated to the community of faith believers living in the power of the Holy Spirit. As our band comes up this morning, as we finish up our our message today, do you have a faith story? Do you have a grace story? Can you stand and say with me today that God has moved and worked in your midst? Are you a part of the faith community? who has allowed God to work and be a part of your life. The importance of faith is developed throughout the book of Hebrews and culminates in chapter 11 where the author gives us the great hall of faith, individuals who stood the test of time and who were faithful to God. The author includes himself as a recipient of the gospel and a member of that faith community who shares in the blessings of God. This morning there may be some of us here today, Who have never crossed that line of faith, who have never stepped in the direction of Christ and said, Lord, I need you to be my savior. I need you to be my master. I need to be a part of the faith community. There are some of you here this morning who are not sure about what you believe about Christ. You're not sure what your orthodoxy is. Can I tell you something? Open the word and read what God has to say. He'll say it better than myself or any preacher will ever be able to say. But you only know what God's Word is, and you only get to experience God when you understand His Word and when you start experiencing Him in your life. And so my prayer this morning as we think about Christ being greater, we think about Him being greater than the cynics, the skeptics, and the critics, is where does Christ sit in your life? Our band's going to play a song. They're going to lead us in in a worship song. I'm going to make my way to the back of the auditorium. And there may be somebody here this morning that says, you know what, I need to take a step of faith and follow Christ. I need to step across that line of faith and become a member of the faith community. And if that's you this morning, I encourage you to come see me after the service or even right now as our band leads us in this time of worship. God bless you.